1: I have Memorial Day to everyone. Danny and I are recording this Memorial Day afternoon and we did that listener bracket recently of topics and one of the ones that I really wanted to do that got narrowly defeated to make it in was looking at which players are overrated and underrated by analytics. So it was a great listener suggested topic that I thought would be really good especially because I think it's a good window into talking about what analytics can really miss. Uh, And I think where we want to start here is just this is was something that was suggested on twitter so i don't blame the the listener for not being more specific than just saying analytics but we should probably just begin by discussing what we really mean when we talk about analytics because there could be you know that could be essentially the entire world of basketball information
2: absolutely and even if we wanted to to narrow the field to a specific you know like group of people or a specific way of thinking they don't always necessarily value exactly the same things or, importantly, value them to the same degree. So it could be maybe defensive rebounding it, grabbing the rebound is more important to some people and some models than others where maybe it's about your team getting the rebound and all those sorts of ideas and it's not a monolith it's not rigidly a hive mind or anything like that though there can be elements where people think the same way that you know you, you kind of get on some more wavelengths i think you and i both get into that mode sometimes too and so you can't say like oh well a single metric whether whatever that single thing is that is representative of an because no single thing is representative of analytics.
1: Yeah, I think that the analytics boogeyman, that uh, I think there's two that have really been probably overhyped in terms of the negative attention that they've gotten in traditional media among more traditional coaches and players for example as well one of them is just the idea of shot location and you should never take a mid-ranger anymore it should be all dunks and threes that that overly simplistic approach although generally those shots uh, tend to be the best ones that's not necessarily what we're talking about here but then i think the other thing that you look at is the one number metrics and that goes back to PER it's one of the first one of those which is just a linear weight, where it's putting a value on each box store stat that is compiled and trying to figure out who some of the best players are and in its day PR was really good because it was really the first number out there along with some of its components like true shooting for example that really accounted for the value of using possessions individually. Well, and the variance in the, in
2: the game within things like pace. Like pace adjusting is such, a, such an amazing oh, yeah. element to all of this that we need to acknowledge the significance of. Like that's, I mean, it's standard practice now, but it wasn't then.
1: Yeah, and then the next big number that really came into the public consciousness was RPM, which is a, a combination of RAPM, which just looks solely at your what effect you have at least according to the numbers when you are on the floor versus when you're off the floor adjusting for the quality of your teammates and the quality of the opposition rpm added in what's known as the box score prior to make it more stable because the sample sizes for just pure rapm are limited unless you're looking at like years worth of data because you, know, you could have very short periods of time where you're playing with certain players on your team or playing against other players who are really good and maybe you just have like a really hot shooting streak down you. There are all these things that can really mess up RPM, I and so they put in this box score probably just kind of similar, I guess, in some ways to PR but more trying to match up what box score numbers mean in terms of your on off impact and there's lots of other metrics like bpm various modes where or they just look at the box score try to correlate that to what it actually means for when you're on or off the floor for your team and so RPM is still out there. It's gotten some tweaks over the years. That's one of the big ones that we will probably discuss. 538's Raptor, which debuted this year, somewhat similar model, but they now have added in tracking data as well. Again, I'm vastly oversimplifying here. We could do three whole episodes on the methodology of Rapture. And then Jacob Goldstein's PIPM, what that does is it tries to adjust for shooting luck. That's the biggest unique performance or or, or component of that, where it's either free throws, three pointers. As we know, certain players can really benefit from, say, opponent shooting luck, where you're probably not actually doing anything to make them shoot 10% worse when you're on the floor than when they're off the floor. They just happen to miss some threes when you're on the floor, that kind of thing. So those are the three that I looked at the most, really, are RPM, Raptor, and PIPM. I think those are the ones, PIPM maybe less so, but with Raptor and RPM both being on ESPN-owned sites those are the ones that I think reach the zeitgeist the most when we're talking about just how the analytic numbers that filter down to fans the most.
2: Sure. And a place to start
1: and this is this is so so is that what you looked at yeah
2: I mean I would I would add in PIPM as well and and there are some like yeah yeah, I'm including that yeah exactly so yeah you mentioned it and and I yeah I think that's that's really the primary stuff but so like the first big box that I wanted to talk about is a challenge that anything using on off and and a lot of these models try their best and many of them do well to do is apportioning credit and blame. So when a a lineup is doing particularly well at something or everything and then doing poorly, a part of what those models are trying to do is say, okay, well, who's the reason for this? And, and they're giving, they're giving them, you know, praise or benefit. So like the Hawks defense is terrible. Who is the reason the Hawks defense is terrible? The Bucks defense is great. Who is the reason the Bucks defense is great? And One big group that I would say is is a good place to start that gets overrated by some of these models, and it's not like they're overrated overall as players, but in this specific asset, what I think of them is cogs in the machine rather than the machine themselves, and so that is players who are an important part of a good defense uh, uh, uh that's the most common kind and, but aren't necessarily the reason the singular reason why and so for example here a lot of them are perimeter players so like gary harris right now i like gary harris a lot even though he couldn't hit a jump shot this season he is 11th in defensive real plus minus for the season, and the, you know he is. I, I would argue he's the best perimeter defender on the Nuggets. The Nuggets have at times been a been a solid defense, but Gary Harris is not the 11th best defensive player in the entire league. We have discussed this similarly at great length with Jonathan, with, with Jason Tatum, and they're it's not saying they're bad defenders they certainly aren't i mean tatum brings value as a help defender at the nail he executes the system really well he doesn't make a lot of mistakes but that is a real challenge and i'll get into another part of the praise the the, like the praise blame after we talk about that one.
1: well yeah I, i like that you went there first because i agree especially when it comes to defense Because on defense, you don't have as many stats that these models can use generally. And so I think about it, the Bucs is a perfect example, right? Like Dante DiVincenzo and Wesley Matthews both have very good numbers defensively in these metrics this year. And I think Wes Matthews is a good defender for sure. I mean, you could probably say he's above average. Uh he does he like you said, he doesn't make mistakes. He's not gonna just get totally steamrolled by the guy that he's guarding. But there's also a lot of players that you could bring in who would do the same thing defensively for you that wes matthews is able to do whereas if you had and divincenzo he tries really hard too but you know he's his defensive numbers are like crazy high you know again he's one of these guys in the top 20 or 30 in some of these ventures and so i think that brooke lopez Giannis those are the guys where you're like okay if you replace this with someone else this whole thing would fall apart yeah Wes Matthews is doing a good job of like not getting killed out there but there's plenty of players you could bring in who would do a capable job and I think that to some extent maybe the and you know Giannis and Brooke Lopez both have very good numbers themselves but when you're really thinking about how valuable a player is like yes you can measure what a guy is doing in his role that's like what a lot of these do uh, where they say hey this guy's role on the Bucks. he's part of this really good defense he's one of the the better perimeter stoppers on the team they're going to put on some of the best guys and the Bucks have one of the best defenses in NBA history so there's a, a lot of credit to go around but to me value also is who's doing the stuff that can't be replaced and to me brooke lopez and Giannis, eric Bledsoe, those would probably be the three guys i give the most credit for on that defense whereas west matthews you know if you put jay crowder in that spot instead you know i don't think you're really that much different there's a lot of players of that ilk that you could have brought in now i mean his salary is very cheap they did a good job to get him but when you're just talking about the expanse of the whole league you know west matthews has been on some pretty mediocre defenses in dallas and so well, when and- you really look at the yeah go ahead sorry
2: and and that's the, the guy the other guy that I want to bring up here another player who's in the top 35 on defensive RPM right behind Dante DiVincenzo is Tobias Harris And Tobias Harris, two years ago, was a negative in defensive RPM, and he has improved. But he's gone from, you know, negative one or thereabouts, I think it's where he was two seasons ago, to positive one. And I think while some of that is Harris being a better defender, a lot of that is he has a lot better defenders around him. And so he is getting a portion of the benefit of the Sixers playing playing good defensive players and also some of the stuff with their lineup construction and other things and this is very hard i'm not saying these models suck or anything like that and and,
1: and tobias too i mean you know and this is something that isn't going to be in those models but he's guarding the worst perimeter guy on the other team exactly every game
2: yeah and so and so sometimes what you see are players who do their job well but their job isn't nearly at as difficult or as important. And I think those are, those are important difficulty and importance are necessary to separate, but they both matter a lot for this in terms of the centrality of a player. So you like Giannis or that's why you and I both had Giannis as as our defensive player of the year for the completed portion of the season, because it's, it's a big part of why the Bucks defense works. And if you replaced him with somebody else, then, then it wouldn't be nearly as good where, and that happens like, and sometimes it can also be a player. And this is, a similar thing but a little bit different of a player who is very different from the person they're replacing whether that's a starter or a bench player so like alex caruso tries hard on defense like no, no, no knock on him in any way there he's tied with Capella for fifth in defense on the raptor model and i think this gets into the other part of that, that I want to talk about which is i talked about difficulty and importance and there are important and difficult perimeter defenders in the league but generally speaking when some, something that these models have challenged with, has to ch- face challenges with is that other than the absolute best of the best, and sometimes we don't even see that in the regular season, which is something else I want to get into. The players involved in these sorts of things on the perimeter just aren't as important, but they're doing well, and so they end up being higher. So you get perimeter players that aren't necessarily elite that are in, like, the top 30. Wes Matthews, DiVincenzo are good examples of that. Or Kent Baysmore. where in order to be a top 30 defender in the league on the perimeter, you have to be damn good.
1: So, and I think we can... There's a few more categories I want to get into quickly here before we talk about some of the specific players who fall into these categories. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tucks from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code cap space user cap space we talk all the time here on the program you get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more that's 10% off at indochino indochino indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us okay so before the break we're talking about some of the categories of players who might be overrated by analytics focusing on some of these one number metrics in particular and i think the other thing that ties in with what you were saying before is how does this player fit into a defensive system and that can be both positive or negative sometimes a player requires you to play a certain system and your whole defense has to be built around that guy where you do things he can really only play one way and so now everything else has to be around that and maybe you can get to a point where you can play credible defense but that's because they built the system in some respects even they built the personnel around it and so yeah you found a way to coexist with this guy's limitations but you put him on another team you put him in a different system also generally if you don't have scheme versatility that's probably going to put a ceiling on what you can do in the playoffs i think you and i both focus a little bit more on playoffs and matchups than necessarily the regular season so these are metrics are all regular season based that could be another place that we're going to differ so that's on one hand then the other hand maybe you are running a defensive scheme where you can only do that because this guy has the ability to do these things and that scheme is working really well for you but if you take that guy away maybe he's not putting up great defensive numbers but if you take that guy out of there and replace him with an average guy at his position defensively then all of a sudden you're not able to play that system anymore and your whole defense would break down even if it's not that one guy who's putting up the stats.
2: I'm going to, I'm going to, I first of all, obviously agree with you, but I want to use an offensive example because I think it's easier for people to sometimes get that. And it's Nikola Jokic offensively in Denver. Nikola Jokic, you take Nikola Jokic off of the Nuggets and replace him with a different type of center or anything else. Their whole offensive scheme has to change. And he's the reason that it works so well. And Jamal Murray, talented player, still working his way in. And those essential players... Really ratcheted up, and and what I thought of there, uh, I don't know if this is where you were leading with, is part of the reason James Harden is number one right now in Raptor for the 1920 season is that Raptor defense, his defensive Raptor component is a plus 1.5. Plus 1.5 is significantly worse than Kawhi Leonard and some of the other players but it is also better than LeBron James and better than Luka Doncic and if you moved Harden down partially due to that lack of scheme versatility and because you know he gets deflections and sometimes gets steals but that can come at the expense of other elements of defensive of defense and the fact that you have to change all the scheme stuff if you slide that number down more to where Luka was or even like where Carl Anthony Towns is then he is no longer number one in, in, in Raptor he probably falls to number three maybe even further
1: well and to be clear Harden's limitations he can't get through a screen he's very limited laterally he's not gonna put out a ton of effort particularly closing out so he really can't guard his position if you're calling his position the two in any sort of a conventional scheme and then and they've adapted to do a ton of switching even when they weren't switching at times last year they still would switch any screen involving Harden but no other screens he's basically guarding the power forward and sometimes the center and he can he does deserve some credit for being stout enough to be able to do that but he doesn't really provide any rim protection at those positions and so you basically they've had to bring in all of these guys Uh, you know if it weren't if they didn't have PJ Tucker for example who could also do that switching at either a power forward or now center position, how would Houston operate defensively? They wouldn't have any kind of a coherent scheme. And so. That's what I think you could look at. And then on the other end, Russell Westbrook really was struggling this year. And part of that could have been health. But until they essentially got rid of the center and made him the only non-shooter, if he's going to have the ball and he's a point guard to be the only non-shooter and still be able to have Harden have the ball as well, you couldn't have another non-shooter in Capella. And then they, so that's part of why they decided to move on from Capella. So you, you have to, I think it's more defensively than offensively that these one number metrics can miss this. But that's a perfect example. You mentioned Jokic. I thought you mentioned him offensively. Defensively, it's the same thing. Jokic can't play really a drop system because he lacks the athleticism. If anybody gets kind of a runway at him in pick and roll, he's not going to be able to stop them. He can't get in front of guys, go vertical, get up in the air, and force them to miss at the rim. He's just going to get traffic cone. So they have to play this scheme where he generally gets further out on the floor. That's what he's more comfortable in against any kind of a dynamic ball handler and that system has worked relatively well for them in the regular season they've give up a lot of threes as a result of that system because you're giving up four on threes uh, on the back side a lot of times you just can't cover the corner or, or the wings and they've gotten lucky with some misses and then uh from three and so and he's also got Paul Millsap, who can be that second line rim protector behind him. That's an incredibly important role that you can't really play that system with, uh, without, I should say. Um, and then you have it on the other side where it's the guys who make the system. Like Clay Thompson is one of those guys to me who didn't, didn't play this year, of course, but has always been massively underrated because the switching scheme that the Warriors like to play re- relied on on having a shooting guard who can guard anyone on the floor.
2: Thompson is also a a really interesting example of one of the ways that actually models can sometimes deliberately underrate and overrate specific players, which is correlation versus causation. So generally speaking, perimeter players who don't get many steals and do not get many blocks are not good defenders. You know, like that's generally the way it works. And those are measures of activity. They're measures of a lot of different, uh, it, but it is more correlation than causation. You could argue it a little bit each way. And it's funny. You could think of Matisse Thybul is probably the opposite. Klay Thompson is one of the rare very good defenders who does not get either of those things. He's also not a particularly good rebounder. And so when someone is building a model, you have to design it for the overall. You can't, It's it, it sometimes can be hard. And, and sometimes, you know, you want to look at something at the end game and say, well, crap, these players, like, we we know or we think these players are good or bad at thing X. And they're being ranked or rated or whatever differently. Can we fix that? But then, the, but th- that's why I think Clay is an interesting example, is because a lot of what he does is incredibly hard to quantify, even if you identified him the way
1: that you and I do. I think the other type of player I can talk about too here before we get into more specific players, guys who don't have weaknesses, but may not have very powerful strengths either. So Jay Crowder is an example for me. You know, he doesn't shoot the ball that well. He's in the low 30s a lot of times. Defensively, he's not the same playmaker that he used to be. But you're also not going to like, guys' eyes aren't going to light up to go at jay crowder you're not gonna run plays to take advantage of him on offense he at least can shoot the three enough that he's still gonna get guarded out there and so you know there was a time when he was an analytics starling in some of these metrics years ago in boston but that time is over but just someone a, a player of that ilk who you can just put out there and he's not gonna kill you he's not necessarily gonna impress these metrics but when you're looking at the fact that he doesn't give the other team's offense or defense a place to attack i think that's something that can get Get missed sometimes, just you know, among these guys who are kind of average role player types. I think the analytic numbers these one number metrics uh, can miss that level of nuance and again we're putting more of an emphasis here on a playoff series too than we are on regular season where weaknesses don't get taken advantage of as ruthlessly do you want to talk about all of the kind of
2: different approaches first or do you want to because because i have a few other things i want to bring up but we could talk about players that fit the descriptions we've done before or we can move on i don't know which way you want to do it
1: uh yeah let's uh let's just start bringing up some categories here and, okay. and some players i'm sure we'll get through all of it I I got a whole yeah. list here. Some of some of them may not yeah. quite fit into categories. So, but so we, I'll do I'll do
2: another I'll do another little group, um, and I'll name some specific players here. And that is a group that often gets underrated by the all in one metrics are bad defenders that aren't catastrophic. So a lot of what's interesting is when players transition out of that group. So for example, like a player like Trey Young. Trey Young is a bad defender who compromises the structural integrity of your defense because you can go after him. He's often at like at the point of attack because he's the smallest guy on the floor. And so there's a there's a narrow group of players that really are that damaging. And I would say like off kind of working through it generally. Trey Young is in that group. I would say D'Angelo Russell is in that group. But importantly, I would not say that Devin Booker is. And that can be a challenge for for models in general is the, you know, not doing the other things. We talked about steals and blocks a little bit ago and are bad defenders. I'm not saying Devin Booker is a great defender. He he was better at stretches of the season. But to me, grouping him with the Trey Youngs and D'Angelo Russells of the world isn't accurate. It isn't an accurate reflection of where he is. And so you can look at, let's use, I'll use Raptor because I have it right in front of me. Devin Booker, plus 4.2 on offense. I think that's pretty pretty reasonable. You know, one of the better offensive players in the league. Not the best of the best, but very good. But then his defense is a negative 3.2, so he's a modest positive at plus 1, even though he's a wonderful offensive player. And so... Having it skew so hard in the other direction when it is un when it is not entirely justified, I'm not going to say unjustified because he's not an amazing defender. That's a group that's important to acknowledge where it's like you know they're they're not great, but they're not the reason that the other team they're not the the point the focal point of the defense's attack on every possession.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I I hadn't thought of that in particular. Uh, maybe my analog to that, which I think is a, a somewhat different point, is. I just don't think these guards are that bad defenders I think almost all of these systems apportion too much blame to guards and
2: and not enough and not I, enough yeah. blame to big men that can't clean up their stuff
1: yeah I, I think that's right and same thing with wings as well who are are really you know threes and fours who don't provide any kind of help resistance or, or can't stop their them and the reason I, th- I was talking about this with hollinger a couple days or a couple weeks ago can you name any defenses that had a bunch of good defenders but we're just like totally undone by a guard.
2: Well, could you argue that there were times when it felt like Isaiah Thomas was doing that to the Celtics in the playoffs?
1: Yeah. But okay. that's yeah, rare. Yeah, all right. Play, playoffs. Yes. I think that's where it might be a, a little bit. But
2: more... regular season, I think you're right. Um, And, and it also yeah, does. I mean,
1: those Celtics defenses were still were, good overall. And there, there's a number of examples. Like those Celtics defenses were totally good, even with Isaiah Thomas. And you know, JJ Redick is another one, right? Like JJ Redick, He didn't kill the Sixers last year. They had a bunch of good defenders around him. Now he gets on New Orleans and all of a sudden he looks like one of the worst guard defenders. And you know what? He probably is one of the worst guard defenders, but if you put enough around him, then he's going to look okay. It's just like, I, I... The way I see it is like Trey Young, Reddick, Bradley Beal, by the way, who, yeah, he didn't try as hard this year, but he also had nothing else around him. If you're making a list of what are this team's defensive problems and the guy is like number four on on that list, for him to be so bad in some of these defensive metrics that he almost erases the quality of their offense for guys like Beal or Booker or Trey Young... Like, that just doesn't seem accurate to me. Yes, maybe in that system, they really hurt. They don't have the ability to do something positive to clean up for what the other guys can't do or they are causing breakdowns. But on like a normal real team, it wouldn't be that damaging. And so yeah, maybe in that system, that's what the numbers say. But it's not like if you put some decently average point guard defender on the Hawks this year that they're going to have be four points per 100 possessions better defensively. Like, it just doesn't work that way if you're going to say that Trey Young is a negative four.
2: Right and there is an, an an analog that I wanted to bring up and unfortunately the player who is the prime example of this for me it was a couple of years ago and that's rookie De'Aaron Fox and that's a completely under talented group and it's it's another one of those praise blame problems and so that De'Aaron Fox's rookie year the Sacramento Kings were really bad and their starters and backups were relatively similar quality like they, they just had a bunch of guys that weren't very good and so that means you have bad starters and okay backups and that led to De'Aaron Fox posting one of the like he had one of the worst RPM numbers that I think he had the worst RPM in the entire league that season and there were certain people who used that as evidence that he was a bad basketball player that he wouldn't be very good or whatever and first of all that's misuse of statistics and all that type of stuff Anyway. The idea is a lot of times a single player or a group of players get blamed for a lineup sucking when it is an overall lack of talent. And, like, a good example of that for me for this year is Glenn Robinson, the third, being really poorly rated in defensive Raptor. And he was on two different teams, and Pascal's the same, Eric Pascal of the Warriors.
1: Yeah, I had both of those guys. Because.
2: Yeah, they weren't unbelievable, but how in the hell were they supposed to save those Warriors defensive lineups, especially when neither one of them was playing center and when they were just surrounded by so little quality on mostly both ends of the floor? And it is a challenge, you know, it's a challenge for some of those models. And it, it I, I mean, when you, there are certain players, when you just see it, and you're like, oh, that there's just something, there's just a, a ghost in the machine that they can't quite see. And you can, there are various examples. I mean, there's there are other straight up just weird ones, but that's a, it's a pattern that we We've seen before and it might just be something that's hard to that's hard to calibrate but it's the like overall under talented lineup and the blame is going on the wrong person
1: yeah pascal also was backing up draymond green as well which sure draymond still wasn't the same force but he still was solid in the defensive impact tra- metrics uh, at least here um any other categories you wanted to elucidate before we start really getting into some players here? I, I think I've got pretty much all. The
2: only the only other one that I want to bring up. Uh, it's easier to think about this offensively rather than defensively. But the the difficulty basically. How much value is the player adding as as an offensive player? And so um, this is you know like I say the most important thing for a player to do offensively is create good shots for themselves and others. There are various players who are exceedingly efficient. Like you can think of Mitchell Robinson is a true shooting and PER darling because basically what he does is dunk and he dunks very well and he get, grabs a shit ton of rebounds. But some of those players and not all of them because some role players have good gravity and they could do other things while he could be a good help defender various things. But more dependent players. DeAndre Jordan, I think, can sometimes be an example not a bad offensive player by any stretch of the imagination. But they sometimes, P E R in particular, and Hollinger's acknowledged this, like they're that they can sometimes get puffed up by these sorts of things, even though if you put them with like if you move Chris Paul away from the Clippers in those years, DeAndre Jordan's stats would have gone down even though like he would have been seen much worse by these, even though he was no worse of a player.
1: All right, do you want to start with overrated or underrated?
2: Oh, let's start let's start more negative with with overrated, because then we can end on a more positive note.
1: Okay, so and and a lot of these it's going to be guys on one end of the floor too I mentioned this guy already Nikola Jokic very overrated to me based on the one number metrics he gets a fair number of steals for a center I think that's part of it but what they have to do with their scheme the fact that it kind of only seems to work with Paul Millsap next to him is really the, the only times they've been able to defend that well and Millsap is a great defensive player and just that he can only play one way it's just a, it's a big problem in the playoffs they were spared that problem a little bit last year because they went up against the spurs in the first round who weren't really going to play much spread pick and roll it popped up a little bit in the second round of the portland to me actually had a little bit of a disappointing offensive series that series but by some of these numbers you know Nikola Jokic is one of the better defensive centers in basketball and that's just not true. Yeah and he, he just has too many weaknesses.
2: Raptor has the same problem with Carl Anthony Towns. It, um interestingly RPM does not. But like Carl Anthony Towns is a plus uh he's plus about 1 in defensive Raptor and he is I mean not. <laughs> You know, he, the, some of the flaws that functionally probably can't be corrected with Minnesota's defense are that they have a center who's not a very good defender. And I, I've talked about how some of these... And that's not true. Uh, RPM, he's, I think, negative 1.6. And that I think that's closer to about right. Um, one of the ones that I want to bring up, and again, this is a player who the models disagree, but I wanna, I'm going to use RPM for this, is Zach Levine as an offensive player. So Zach Levine is currently... He's 18th in offensive RPM. And... High volume player generates his offense at a, at a reasonable efficiency this season, but he doesn't do a good job creating efficient shots for himself and others. So you could think about there are various players who are a lot better than him who are lower, and some of that is just the sample of the season, like you know Ed or Kawhi or something like that. But for me, just if you throw Zach Levine on an, on a team as where the Bulls are, or you throw him on a good team, he you I don't think you can trust him to do those sorts of those sorts of things. And so even though the Bulls offense was best when he was on the floor that doesn't mean he's
1: good yeah they, it's they had nobody else who could create shots in the perimeter and this is a point that you've made a lot where okay yeah they were better with him on the floor but your ceiling with him as a number one option just isn't that high and so he's gonna look better in some of these metrics because they're so bad when he's off the floor and his individual box score stats are good but yeah as a distributor as the guy who's creating the opening for everyone else he's got a long way to go to be sure yeah so the 18th best offensive player in basketball no he's he's not at that level here's another uh, although i generally i generally agree more with the offensive components of these than the defense components that is one where i don't
2: agree. another player who has been a dunked on punching bag and this season the the all-in-ones really loved him and i think it was a a, a big you know it's a, it's a big mistake and and pretty illuminating in terms of the what i talked about importance and difficulty is dennis schroeder dennis yeah.
1: although to, although to its credit pipm did not rate
2: yes him as i was yes I'm, i was referring more to rpm our, our and raptor there so yeah dennis schroeder 28th in offensive RPM, plus 2.1. Also a positive one on defensive RPM, and then and then was considered by Raptor the Thunder's fifth best offensive player. I, I use 750 minutes as the filter, and their third best defender. above Stephen Adams, above Chris Paul, above Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And Schroeder is illuminating for this difficulty importance problem. He is taking the easiest defensive assignment for the most part when they're doing those three-guard lineups. Chris Paul is taking the hardest one. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is taking the second most. And and Schroeder is often doing a decent enough job of 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 doing an easy job. And then offensively, the Thunder have the luxury of playing him in the role where they can ask him to do exactly what he does well and he doesn't have to do anything else and he gets that that sometimes leads to players like Schroeder and this sort of parallels Zach Levine to an extent getting credit for things working out even though they are the most replaceable reason of a successful lineup
1: yeah I I totally agree with you on him here's my next one which might come as a surprise to some people and he's not ridiculously overrated but Jimmy Butler every year it seems like except for last year he's top 10 in these metrics i just don't think he's quite that good especially now where offensively he doesn't have the explosion to finish at the rim anymore he doesn't shoot threes at all when he's off the ball he's not really a good enough iso guy to really beat the best defenders anymore he's just hurling his body in there getting a crap load of fouls and he has really improved his distribution but i just don't he's not and i think also his defense has become a little bit overrated and yeah his teams always play a lot better when he's on the floor but he's also not really ever on any great team so and and he plays a position where you're not going to have a good backup or replacement and you know those bull teams the wolves that one year apart when he would be off the floor but if you really look especially as you're going into what he's going to do in the playoffs i don't think he's a, a top 10 player i don't think it's really even particularly close frankly and he's just set up to be the best player on these 47 win teams with good talent around him but only the role that he has with no replacement and so that, i think that's why he ends up getting overrated a little bit in these numbers and maybe you can argue that he's more valuable in the regular season but i i can't quite go there with him i mean and you know these numbers are noisy uh, on a year-to-year basis and and you know if i have him as the 20th best player in basketball or the 16th best player in basketball instead of top 10 you know, maybe you might argue that's not that big of a difference. But I think when you're talking about that kind of a rarefied era, especially because he's consistently up there, that's enough for me to say that I, I think he's overrated by these tricks.
2: Another point in your favor there, um, Butler, I mean, he has been a very good defender for a lot of his career, is that it's not like this year. So that, you know, it was a, for let's use Raptor. So Raptor, Jimmy Butler is a top 10 player, positive about positive two defense plus 4.2 offense. And I think I would say he's more by that overrated offense Defensively than defensively, but remember that it's not like the Heat were this amazing defense this year. They started out really strong. Some of that was fueled by opponent shooting luck. But the Heat 110 using clean the glass 110 defensive rating when Butler's on the floor, and it was about the same when he sat. And Butler, what you know, he had that role. But they Miami has a real team concept there, and a lot of players are doing heavy lifting, and they've succeeded and failed for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. But I think sometimes play, certain players end up getting too much of the of praise or blame, and That leads to what I will call, for this season, the single most overrated, which is every non-star on the Milwaukee Bucks. So DiVincenzo is probably the easiest target here because Dante DiVincenzo is 18th in the entire NBA in Raptor, and he is 13th in RPM, which is absolutely stunning when you consider DiVincenzo's role and importance for the Milwaukee Bucks to PIPM's credit. Di Vincenzo was all the way down at 30. <laughs> um... <laughs> and but it's you know you could make the same argument we talked about this at length with Wes Matthews and George Hill fits into this as well George Hill 24th and Raptor of players with 750 minutes and you could just with, with various players it's like they're good at what they do they don't make a lot of mistakes but they are not the reason the team is succeeding and not the reason they're succeeding at this historic level and yet they get the some of the residual shine because a team this historically great it actually can sometimes be hard to apportion praise for Fairly, when a team is this good and there have been other teams where this has come in but it's more prominent for the bucks than some of those great warriors teams or like miami back in the day because so a lot of the heavy lifting is being done by a smaller number of players specifically Giannis, brooke lopez and chris middleton and blood cell on defense
1: man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since we ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz. And we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. that you came from us. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest,
0: but let me play Devil's Advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: I got a couple more here on the the overrated I actually found it easier to find underrated guys than overrated guys personally. But uh, Christian Wood has got to be up there. He's ranked as a top 30 player in the NBA. And yeah, we've liked his game a lot. But the guy just began starting after the all-star break on a team that wasn't doing anything. And yeah, he's putting up numbers, but he also is, he's not necessarily creating those opportunities for himself and certainly not for others. He's an excellent play finisher, but that only has so much value. And then defensively, I'm very hard pressed to see it, even though he does put up some of the stats with shot blocking. So, all right, you know, maybe a year from now, I'll buy it. I also don't think he's quite this good of a three point shooter as he's shown this year either. So if he keeps this up for another year, and the team results really start to reflect what he's doing, then, okay, maybe I, I could start to believe in that, but it's a little too early for right now. Who else you got here?
2: I mean, I, I would say if I classified all the other bucks, that it would that would cover a lot of ground. Um, I, I mean, Avisa Zubats' defense is overrated. Like, he, he the, he's that kind of more the traditional big man, and the Clippers' defense has at times been good, but I don't think he's as much the reason. And that's the opposite causation, because they have such good perimeter defenders with Beverly, Kawhi,
1: and Paul George, that that can be a bit of a problem. Yeah. That's interesting, actually. I like I'm I'd like to see more from Zubats. I, I, I think that he actually could be pretty good. He
2: could be. But like and like but, JaVale, but
1: yeah, he is slow. And that's like true. JaVale
2: like, McGee having a plus three defensive raptor. Like that's another one of those like he's a part of a good defense. And and i not that JaVale's like terrible or anything like that, but he's not one of the, you know, best defenders in the entire league. He does a good job of what the Lakers ask him to do. Incidentally, so did Dwight Howard.
1: It's interesting you mentioned Zubac because I think Montres Harrell's defense is very overrated. I, I agree with by you. By these numbers.
2: I, I think um, I think all the Clippers yeah. big men are because their perimeter defenders are so good.
1: Yeah, and that's one where Harrell has improved this year, but he doesn't defensive rebound. He's not a great rim protector, not a great post defender to the extent that that still matters at all. And he has improved a little bit as a switch guy. But the biggest reason that his numbers are close to Zubac in terms of the defense rating is that he's really benefited from a ton of three-point shooting luck that's that's one of the big reasons why Harrell looks a lot better than he is I mean he is definitely not a better defensive player than Zubac because Zubac he's very very difficult to score over at the rim at least and the Clippers have enough perimeter defensive chops that it's not the end of the world that he can't get out on the floor in pick and roll defense most of those guys can stay attached pretty well so um yeah that was one that stuck out to me you know I don't think of Harrell as a quality defensive center which is what those impact metrics would say this year
2: one of the most interesting ones to me is a, a player that you and I have disagreed on fairly prominently this season. And I, I I would be interested if somebody knows these models better to explain it to me, is Russell Westbrook's offensive component. So Russell Westbrook is one seventeenth, I believe, in offensive Raptor. He's a slight positive in PIPMs. And then he is ninth in offensive RPM.
1: I mean, you would imagine that it's something having to do with the box score, right?
2: I would guess, but you would you would think that that would come up at least a little bit in the other models. Um, and, yeah. But but Westbrook, so he's overrated by offensive RPM because, and and some of that gets into the lack of versatility. What you have to do to what you have to do to fit him in and still a talented player and full respect to somebody who can be so good at what he does well that it's worth that sort of a sacrifice and I think Westbrook can be in that discussion we if you want to go back and hear us argue about Russell Westbrook go listen to the point guard rankings pod we did we that was one of the longest discussions we've ever had on that sort of a point but that is you know to me to me if like the having him top 10 like when I was was going through and like looking at some of the extremes just like wait what the hell but he is you know he is a, a very talented player and does what he does extremely
1: well okay my last one here oh actually I mean James Harden for his defense got to be in there we talked about him already um so my next one will be D'Angelo Russell is 15th in the NBA in offensive RPM and I think these metrics do a pretty decent job on his defense at least this year but he's not anywhere close to the 15th best offensive player certainly he had no one else on this Warriors team who could dribble most of the year when he wasn't available um, either on the bench or, or out of the game but he just to me is not dynamic enough he's very limited in terms of the roles that he can play offensively he's very limited in terms of being able to beat the best defenders and you know i mean we i think i had him you know in the like 15 to 20 range among point guards which is an offensive position so uh to have him 15th in offense seems uh overall for the league well,
2: and, seems and not only optimistic. to have russell 15th but to have him 15th in a year where his true shooting while the best of his career was 50 56 percent which is not exactly setting the world on fire and it's not like he was orchestrating some of the league's best offenses You know, they were, some of those teams were better when, because he was on the Wolves briefly, and then he was on the Warriors for, I think, about three quarters of a season of the games Russell played and it's not like he he elevated them to some sort of thing and you could argue that that's the De'Aaron Fox you know bad bad team he couldn't do it but we've seen that at other points in Russell's career so yeah it seems like for whatever reason he is forgiven for the Warriors offensive foibles but other players were not even though that's more his job than anyone else's not that anybody could have fixed it
1: all right anyone else pop out as overrated to you by uh, these analytic metrics that I
0: we're mean looking at?
2: Brandon Clark, I think, is a, is, is one to mention. Like he is another player yes. who is really good at what he does, but extremely low importance and difficulty. And I mean, so yeah. Brandon Clark, twenty first in offensive RPM. I think he's high from what I recall in Raptor as well. And I really like New Clark. I think that he, he was intriguing yeah.
1: this year. You, you can't be just a play finisher and be the 21st best offensive player. Ball. He does. Right.
2: Play. And, and it's not like his, his usage. I don't think his usage was crazy high. It was, so he had 67% shooting, which is crazy on 19 usage, but 19 usage. That's basketball references version of the stat is not sort of crazy. Like, yeah, if you were doing that on 25 or 30, even if it was all created by other guys, like that would be somewhat impressive, but it's just, he just makes, he, he he does a good job of making the shots that are in front of him but yeah to, to put it that sort of thing and and sometimes you know young teams can be inconsistent he's on the floor for some of their good minutes and so yeah players they're the backup big man on teams that that are still improving can sometimes get that extra extra perk so they don't always but like i was thinking mitchell robinson i brought him up earlier in that sort of realm
1: all right i think that's all i've got here for uh the overrated guys uh maybe like norm powell and terrence davis our guys who i think are just getting a little bit too much of that blanket credit defensively for being on the raptors where i don't think either of those guys are particularly special in particular davis uh, as a defender so all right give me your uh your top three most overrated players by these analytic me- measures that we're looking at
2: i'll go levine three schroeder two bucks non-stars one
1: one. <laughs> oh yeah this is tough i i think it's funny because i you know Jokic overall in these numbers is right around where i would have him yeah
2: that's that's why i didn't want to like his defense is overrated but i think that his offense is a little underrated
1: yeah so but i think like his defense is probably his and hardens defense are probably the two most often used metrics to support the idea that these guys are actually good defensively and they're not so I kind of wanted to talk about them but as overall players they're still great top 10 players and that's where the numbers would have them Dennis Schroeder has certainly got to be in there for me with him having gone way up this year so I think I will go with Harden as number three just because like to actually say his defense is a positive I'm sorry there's just no way that that's true Schroeder number two I think I might go with Jimmy Butler number one actually I think he's getting. to be i thought last year he actually became a little underrated with the sixers but this year with miami they've had a big resurgence but they've been a lot of other players who have contributed to that as well and to talk about him as an upper tier star you know i I can't quite go there even though that's where these metrics have consistently painted him i think that's that's part of it for me too is that he's been at this level for years and years and i've always disagreed with it some and i think he's also fallen off significantly from where he was a couple of years ago up.
2: Okay, so we could move to the underrated. And the first guy I want to discuss is somebody that the models, though the three that we focus the most on RPM, Raptor, and PIPM, disagree on a, a pretty significant amount. And that is Miles Turner. So, Miles Turner, one of one of my favorites, his offensive value is tough because one of the best things that Miles Turner does in an ideal system is he spaces the floor as a center. So, that just gives your guards, whoever you're attacking wings, more room to operate. And I think that is incredibly valuable. I also think it's underutilized in the Nate McMillan system. I think that if you if you, you know let him fire away the way that Jaron Jackson does, or even to a, a modest extent. So that's a part of it. Like, I think he provides more offensive value than... than and, and some of that, you know, the shot didn't go in as much this year as it did last year. And so you, you get penalized for that. And the Pacers' offense wasn't quite as good, though there are some pretty obvious reasons why that was the case due to personnel. But then defensively, Turner was just, you know, he, I, I think that he's largely he's largely underrated by the models. Um, he's a positive in in defense on Raptor, but RPM I think has him as a has him as a defensive it, it was neutral. It, I think it was like a slight positive there, and then um, PIPM has him as a as a more modest positive. So like for me the overall the overall picture for Miles Turner like he is a a better a better player even if he's a low low volume offensive player he could be higher. And I think that his you know it, it can be hard to parse with him and Sabonis being a part of this successful front court together but generally what I've seen with the models is I think Sabonis is getting a little too much credit and Turner's getting too little
1: yeah Turner he is 10th among centers in defensive RPM by the way Nikola Jokic is fifth among centers in defensive RPM so yes I'm glad that I put him in there he's not the fifth best defensive center in the NBA and Zubac is second yep. um that's so what Turner, I was getting at with
2: the overrated yeah
1: yeah yeah Turner is 10th on defense but he's negative 1.47 on offense and a negative player over. Overall, in rpm and i think like especially it really is underrating the value of the spacing that he provides part of it too uh, the reason why he doesn't look as good is that when he's on the floor and sabonis is off they haven't been that good and then when sabonis is on and he's off they have been good although they've played somewhat different lineups with those two guys so that's a part of it as well but yeah i think they're really missing the fact that his floor spacing allows sabonis to operate inside um yeah that's a good one clay thompson obviously has got to be in there even though he hasn't played this year but traditionally has really been i think on both ends actually missing the value of his spacing even though he doesn't get a lot of assists he does really contribute to the team game by always having to be guarded and then defensively he doesn't put up the stats but he's key to their system some of these offensive RPM numbers are crazy low. Like Wendell Carter is 501st in offensive RPM. I mean, that's just insane. Like he's not he's a reasonably skilled player. He can pass a little bit, work the DHO game. Like he he's he's improved his finishing this year. Like he's not one of the worst offensive players in basketball. Like there's just it's not even close. Uh Gary Harris, same way. I know he struggled to shoot it this year but he's 485th in offensive RPM. And Al Horford is 442nd in offensive RPM. That's one where in part because his fit with Embiid hasn't been that good and Embiid and those units where they stagger everyone, those units look better when he's off the floor. Also, just the fact that he hasn't been able to hit a three-pointer this year, especially with Embiid on the floor. So that's one where part of it is just he's been really bad in the specific role that he's been shoehorned into. But he's definitely not you know one of the hundred worst offensive players in basketball including guys who are on two ways
2: another player that i at rpm is, is is kind of more prominent here than some of the other ones but it was it was starting to seem that low is pj tucker pj tucker is 75th in defensive rpm and then a negative 2.5 in offensive rpm
1: yeah that 75th actually underrated more like his usage is so incredibly low it's like yeah nine percent but
2: but he's one of the most valuable defensive players in the entire like in in the league yeah especially most valuable non-traditional bigs because yeah. he can,
1: like harden is taking some of his defensive credit
2: i think i agree and westbrook probably is too um and then it's not like the other models are glowing on tucker uh he's i think one, 152 in pipm and then 245th in and raptor raptor thinks that he is like like rpm thinks that his defense is more of a negative or sorry his offense is more of a negative than his defense is a positive which no that is not accurate And it is Tucker, you know, kind of some of the other things. He's an extremely low usage player. He did make 37% of his threes this year. But as you said.
1: And he shoots it really well in the corners. So, like, he's one of those guys who he makes their system defensively. Like, it's because of him that James Harden cannot kill you defensively. He allows James Harden to not kill them.
2: And I am of the belief that in certain circumstances, and, and I would say it could be used more than sometimes than they are, extremely low usage but still credible players have more value than some of the, the models you know it can be a crutch like pj tucker and terrence ferguson are not the same person offensively to me like i think tucker you know he could handle a little bit more yeah.
1: well also they play different positions too Like yes. a, your shooting guard is it's called fucking shooting guard <laughs> that's the name of the position
2: yeah that that that's a fair distinction as well um and so having a lower usage a lower usage player there is 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 a different sort of challenge so yeah i, I would say pj tucker is, is a has a firm spot in my top three as well well. But I don't think he's underrated by analytics in general, like if we're talking about the people who we would think of as analytically minded, but the models underrate him.
1: Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, we talked about these guys already, but the supposedly really bad defending guards, I think they're all underrated by the one number metrics. Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker could probably throw JJ Redick in that category this year as well. I, I already explained at length why I don't think that their defense is should be rated as badly as it is to the point where it's in some. Some cases close to even canceling out their offense.
2: One that I, I can I, I want to talk about briefly. This was originally going to be a category, but I, I didn't want it to be a category because it's not what these metrics are trying to measure. And that is players who are meaningfully different in the postseason than they are in the in the regular season. Like you know, it's you can't blame Raptor for saying you know like this happened last year. Like Kawhi Leonard had this had a really weak defensive rating in a lot of the models last year, and then he was a wonderful defensive player, the best overall player in the playoffs last year. But it is sort of a, a, a something that I think we as a you know as it as a community in basketball need to acknowledge is that there are players whose value and whose game changes a lot in the positive way and then the negative way when we get into postseason so like Kawhi Leonard being seventh is he seventh? no he's better in Raptor he's he's second in Raptor but um you know like there, there are players like that who their strengths or weaknesses I mean uh de rosen was the opposite for a long time but so the, those sorts of yeah. players who, although he
1: never rated particularly well in any of these but
2: i guess that's true um but so I, I just wanted to mention that it wasn't strong enough that i thought it deserved its own category because again it's you can't criticize a model for measure for using the inputs that it has but it can get into challenges when they're for for effort reasons or you know maybe it's the resting or whatever players who play differently in those times
1: Okay, I've got a couple more here. Eric Gordon is consistently rated negative defensively, and I think again he, you know, he's not a big steals guy, but a lot of times he's being asked to guard the best wing threat on the other team if it's not going to be Tucker, you know, some of the smaller guys like donovan mitchell who he really shut down last year in the playoffs for example and he's another guy where as a guard he's able to switch he again is one of these guys who kind of makes their system where they a lot they can switch because they have him as a guard he's so strong he's got good length you're not going to just go after him in the post the way you would with most guards so I i think those numbers are not fair i think that especially in when it really matters this year is a little different because he's been hurt but I think that he has been a positive defensive impact in Houston, and the numbers have just missed that, especially in 18 and 19.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's that's a fair distinction to make. Um, I got two more
1: here. How many do you have left?
2: Uh, I- you do one more and then I'll, I'll 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 share one
1: more guy so duncan robinson is to me underrated by these metrics on offense the ability to create shots sprinting off of screens for three by the time the hiatus happened you were starting to see these plays like you would see with thompson or curry where he comes off the screen and just two guys miscommunicate and run to him at the three point line and he's I mean, just having one of the greatest three-point shooting seasons ever and so for him to be relatively middling in a lot of these offensive metrics PIPM does a better job with him on offense I think but then defensively ninth among shooting guards in RPM I mean he is and again especially before the hiatus as he started to get more attention teams started attacking him pretty relentlessly he's not a positive defender uh, for him to be ninth PIPM even has him as solidly positive as well defensively and there's just there's no way that's true one that really surprised
2: me on—I um, think the first place I noticed it was PIPM was was TJ Warren. Like, I mean, TJ Warren has been a totally capable defensive player. And then he, you know, he fits in. He fits in really well with what they're doing. And he's like, so T.J. Warren. He's 173 in PIPM, slight negative on offense, which I disagree with, and a slight positive on 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 defense, which is not strong enough. I think he's been more than a slight positive on on there. And then he's 131 on Raptors. That's a neutral on offense and a slight positive on defense. I think that he is he is underappreciated overall by this. And you know, he has a had a harder job to do. This he didn't have thaddeus young next to him because thaddeus young is on the chicago bulls now and i thought he i thought tj warren did a really nice job and so to have you know for him to not get some of the credit you know i I said before perimeter players on good defenses generally got too much credit i think that tj warren did not get enough
1: i totally agree with you on him last guy for me jaron jackson jr holy crap
2: did RPM hate him this year
1: yeah negative 1.98 on defense and not even really a huge positive on offense we're talking about a guy who had one of the best three-point shooting seasons by a big ever and we saw really that their offense struggled a lot when he went out with that injury and just the quick launch that he is providing then he also has a drive game as well he can post up a little bit yes as a center he's not ready yet and he fouls a lot maybe that's some of where this these negatives come in but these are like some of the worst numbers you'll see for a big defensively in the whole league and he's not at that type of a level and but i really think it misses much more on his offense the value of a big who can shoot this eight three-pointers a game at 40 percent and with the level of versatility that he's shooting it I and mean, that that is just more valuable to me than is being indicated and i think part of it is the raptors had this really good bench, or sorry the raptors i'm confused by, by the metric the grizzlies had this really good bench and that's made his numbers not look quite as good as a result uh, by comparison but yeah i think he is a very good offensive player already right now and that just isn't captured by these
2: okay so i'll start i'll start this because i'm starting with the player you just mentioned jaron jackson is my number three for for most underrated by analytics this year we'll see we'll see where it goes moving forward it was i was between turner and jackson and while i think that some ways turner's under why turner's underrated is more frustrating the degree of player quality as measured by those metrics and actual quality is actually more severe for jaron jackson so i'm giving him the third spot
1: Yeah, me too. I got him at at number three. Number two for me is those bad defending guards, Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, they're all kind of in the same boat there for me. So that's why I just made them one selection.
2: My number two is PJ Tucker because for everything I said before, he is the reason their defensive system works and offensively he it's, he's good at what he does. They don't need him to do more. And the defense defenses respect him enough. I think overall so that he shouldn't be seen as like a disaster offensively, like some of the other kind of players. of his Yeah,
1: actually I, I'm going to replace Jackson with Tucker actually as my number three. Um Um, And then my number one is Clay Thompson. Same
2: okay i want to give the yeah, stat he, on this he's
1: just the absolute poster child clay, whenever we get this question clay
2: thompson in the 2018-19 season he played 78 games he's 175th in rpm put 1.49 plus 1.49 on offense that's around the same level as as zach levine and not this year zach levine who was actually you know like kind of interesting on offense 18-19 zach levine and then he uh negative 1.82 defensive rpm on the warriors and so like he's getting he was getting some of the blame for it because of the block steel thing we talked about before and again this is the same type of thing that i brought up with pj tucker people who are analytically minded do not underrate clay thompson but if we're defining it in the in the way that kind of because a lot of the other talk you know it's in the abstract so you don't get to see it but by the models clay thompson is like the most structurally underrated player in the nba all
1: right i think we can wrap it up here this is a fun one we appreciate listeners with your Suggestions—it's given given us something to talk about here. Hopefully, we'll have some more to discuss uh, news-wise coming up later in the week. Remember, we're on two days a week, so next episode will probably be out Thursday night. We're on a Monday Thursday schedule right now, at least until we get a good idea of when things are going to start ramping up and we have a little bit more content to give you. Because it's looking like the schedule is going to be—we're not going to actually get a break for a long time once things uh, do restart. So that's why we're kind of taking one a little bit. This would normally be our offseason think of it that way so you have anything to talk about before we go
2: yeah i one of the fun things about this hiatus time for me has been the ability to have in-depth conversations with other writers at the athletic and they just reach out to me and we we go through it and so will Guillory and i uh he covers the pelicans for the athletic new orleans we did we, what started out we were like oh it'll be like a one-part thing it is a three-part q a series we went through feet seems like everything on the pelicans from brandon ingram's extension negotiations and lonzo balls extension negotiations or brandon ingram's free agency lonzo balls to the end of the rotation what they should be prioritizing and some of the support players and that was a lot of fun to to go through and i'm i have a bunch of other things in the work at the athletic so at theathletic.com slash capspace. you can also support all the other great work that other people are doing there and having every sport in hiatus at the same time has been a challenge but it's also been a really fun opportunity to have some of these conversations that we just are too busy to do otherwise
0: all right we will talk to you all later in the week till then